0: So we're nearing the end of our puzzled series, we're not quite there yet, but we're talking about things that, that puzzle us most about God and faith and Christianity and the Bible. And uh, it's been, I, I just, I've really enjoyed being a part of this series, um, both of here but also just receiving when uh, Steve Howard teaches, because these are powerful things that, that we often struggle with. And today's is going to be a little bit different, I'll just give you that warning on the front end. Uh, it's something that's important. Uh, I don't know that it burns in our minds as much as maybe it should, and uh, we'll dive into it in just a second, but first, let's pray. Father, we thank you for gathering us here today, bringing us together. Thanks for uh, the fact that we are not alone and that we get to do this together. And, and God, most importantly, that you're here, that you're present. So we ask for your spirit to be active as, as I speak and as we listen. We pray that your work would be accomplished in us and then also through us into the world around us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, have you heard the one about the guy who was stranded on a desert island? Maybe you have. Maybe you haven't. I'll I'll share it with you. Uh, So there's a guy who's stranded on a desert island. He's been out there for years all alone. And one day he's out on the beach uh, doing whatever he's doing, and and he sees a ship way off in the distance. And so he starts waving his arms to try to signal the ship. And he grabs some palm branches to make his arms bigger and and waves his arms to try to signal the ship. And, And he's waving and jumping and leaping, trying to get the attention of the ship because he's been alone for years. And and finally, he, he sees the ship and it 's far away, but it appears to stop and He watches for a little while longer and eventually, he sees a small boat coming out from the ship making its way towards shore and He is overjoyed and The boat eventually makes its way to shore, and a, a sailor gets off and, and he greets the guy and begins to ask him who he is and why he 's there and, and so the, the stranded man begins to tell him his story about how he 's been there forever and how he 's alone and how he 's so excited to be found at last and as he's telling his story, the, the sailor looks behind him, and he notices on the, on the beach behind him there are three huts. And so the sailor says, wait a minute, I thought you said you're alone. Have you always been alone? And he says, yeah, I've, I've been alone. And he says, well, what's the story with the three huts? And he says, oh, okay, well, well that hut over there, the first hut, that's the hut that I sleep in. And he, The sailor goes, okay, so what about the other hut? And he goes, oh, and, and, and that second hut right there, that's where I go to church. And the sailor thought, okay, that's a little weird, but, you know, maybe this guy's just religious and he's been alone. He just has to do what he has to do. So, okay, that's where you sleep and that's where you go to church. What's the third hut for, the sailor asked. And, and the man said, oh, that, that's where I used to go to church. <laughs> it's telling, isn't it? Uh, maybe too human for you to laugh at, uh, but it's true. Uh, that's, that's how we do things. Um, if if you've ever studied this, or if you've ever looked into this, I just did this week, there are 217 different Christian denominations in the United States alone. Uh, That means not just, you know, separate churches, but 217 different affiliations, groups of people who all have a different view of of Christianity and the Bible. Worldwide, there are 33,000 different denominations of Christianity. Just a staggering number, isn't it? And all of those denominations believe that, that they've got the corner on the market when it comes to truth. That, that they're teaching the truth accurately about the Bible and Jesus and all of that stuff. But, but how can 33,000 different groups all claim to be true and accurate? That they can't be. Not all of them can be right in the same way. It's, it's puzzling. And what must the world think when they see that? What must the world believe when, when they see us dividing ourselves up in so many different ways? Um, you know, I grew up in most of my life in public school, but then my last year and a half of, uh, of high school, I transferred to a high school, a Lutheran high school in the Detroit area, and uh, it was a great school. It, it sat in this, this more residential neighborhood, but it used to be a, I think it used to be like a middle school or something, a public middle school, um, and so it's this Lutheran high school sitting there, and then we had this great big parking lot on the side of the building, and on the other end of the parking lot sat another Lutheran high school, but a different Lutheran high school. These were different kinds of Lutherans. And and I can tell you, in the year and a half that I went there, we never did anything with that other school because we were different Lutherans. We couldn't pray together. The only thing we were allowed to do was share a parking lot. And I just thought, how strange must this be for anyone who's looking at this, two Lutheran schools on opposite ends of the parking lot who have nothing to do with each other. How can we be so incredibly divided, even as Christians? But as you might know, if you're honest, that these divisions aren't just the problems of of church leaders or denominational leaders or ecclesiastical authorities. No, no, no. We are all a part of the problem when it comes to divisions. Martin Luther King Jr. famously said that 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is the most segregated hour in America. And that was true in his day, but guess what? It's still true all these years later. I mean, society has made a lot of progress in becoming more integrated, but the church, by and large, has not. Stats show that, that uh, it, only 13% of churches in America, 13% of churches in America can claim to be multiracial or multiethnic. And let me just tell you about what, what, what's required to be multiracial or multiethnic. It's not that you, you know, have to be completely diverse. The definition of being a multiracial or multiethnic church just means that you can't have any one group Racial or ethnic group make up more than 80% of your congregation. So this isn't a 50% majority. It's saying, hey, if if you could have 79% or less white people in your church, and then the rest of the the, the 21% could be made up by someone else, you would be a multiracial or multiethnic church. Now, the reality is that only 13% of churches in America, there's thousands and thousands of churches in America, can call themselves multiracial or multiethnic. 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is still the segregated, most segregated hour in America. And so then, then when things blow up like they did in summer, in the summer and in the fall in Ferguson, and, and all this racial tension comes to bear, and, and we go, what's going on in our society? I thought we've made so much progress. All you have to do is look around in church. And you can say, maybe we haven't made the progress that maybe we, we, we should have or, or we believe that we have. See, this week is kind of different because... Unlike other weeks where we've wrestled with things in the Bible or things that God says that doesn't, don't really make sense to us, th- the reality this week is that this isn't really God's problem. This isn't something weird that God says that confuses us. No, I mean, sure there are people who, who look in the Bible and they find justification for segregation and, and things like slavery or things like gender discrimination. And, and there are people, we know we're all good at this, who can take words out of the Bible and twist them to say whatever it is we want them to say. But the reality is that this one is not on God. This is not on God being unclear. This is not a fault with God. Man, this, this is on us more than any of these other weeks. This is a problem with us. And if you have any doubt in your mind about whether or not this is true, whether God is to blame, maybe, maybe God isn't clear about how he wants to live life in terms of being divided or, or not divided— I want to show you a place in the Bible. Uh, it's Galatians chapter 3. We're going to go to the book of Galatians. And this is a letter that Paul wrote under the inspiration of God. And he's writing to these, these, these Christians who are who are kind of living together. And some of the people in this church, and in these churches, are, are Jewish people. They're Hebrew people. They were, they were raised under one ethnic tradition. And, and then there are all of these Greeks who are totally different. And they're coming together in the church. They, they all believe in Jesus But there's some tensions that are being created. There's some divisions that exist there. And so Paul is writing to these people in Galatians, talking to them about the freedom that they have in Christ. But but he's also beginning to say clearly what God sees when he looks at us and what God thinks about all the divisions that we tend to live with. So if, if you've ever been unclear about how God feels about the divided world that we live in, Today, I hope this gets clear for you. Again, Galatians chapter 3, you can look in your Bibles, uh, your smartphone, or you can look along here on the screen. We're going to go to verse 23. Paul says, before the coming of this faith, and he's talking about the the faith that comes to us through Jesus, the coming of, of Jesus and what that means for us. A few weeks ago, we talked about faith as a connection to Jesus. and says So Paul says, hey, before Jesus came, And before you could be connected to God through a relationship with Jesus, before any of that was a possibility for you, he says we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified or we might be made right by our faith. Now that the faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Now, now, I love this. Paul begins to talk, and he says, hey, speak, speaking especially to Hebrew people, but to all people, and he says, hey, there was a time before Jesus came when you were sort of like, you know, a juvenile, a teenager, living in your house under a very strict guardian who didn't let you do anything because they were afraid you were going to get in trouble or get hurt, and that's kind of how it was for us, Paul says. Or you can take it a step further, and he says, for a while it was like we were prisoners living in in prison under a very strict warden who didn't want us hurting ourselves or hurting other people, and so you are on lockdown. He says, but something's changed now. That's how you used to live, but now that Jesus has come, and now that we can have a connection to God through him, and and we can receive all of the goodness of God just, just by trusting in and knowing Jesus Christ, Paul says, things have changed for you. Everything's begun to change. Your whole identity has changed. Watch what he says next. He says, So, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. So, here Paul says, Hey, you know what? Um, th- there, there are two realities that change for you if you are a person who trusts in Jesus, if you are a person of faith. He says, There are two realities that, that will change for you. If you have been baptized, the first one is you get to call yourself a child of God. Now, I don't know how you feel about your, uh, your earthly family. I was just uh, home this week for my grandpa's funeral, and it's interesting when you start gathering with your extended family, you look around and you go, huh, <laughs> you know, this is, this is the family I'm from. And, and there are moments where, where you're proud about things and, and you love things about your family, and then there are things that you just go, that's kind of messed up, that's not right. And maybe in your family, uh, you're the favored child. Maybe you were the black sheep of the family. Uh, What what Paul says is, he says, when you are in faith, when you belong to Christ, when you've been baptized into him, your identity changes. You now become a child, not just of your parents, you become a child of the Most High God. If you've been baptized, you are a son or daughter of the Most High God. It's an incredible life-changing identity. We take so much identity from our family But Paul says there's something greater that God does through baptism. And then he says there's this other reality that changes. When you've been baptized into Christ, you have clothed yourselves with Christ. He he gives us this picture of, of being wrapped in Jesus, that we are now wrapped in his perfection, in his goodness, so that when God looks at us, he doesn't see us as we are. He sees us as Christ is. Does that make sense? Uh, if not, just think about it this way. We've all, we've all thought this before in, in uh, different parts of our life. We've thought, you know, looked at some, some group of ethnic people, and we thought, man, all those people, you know, what fill in the blank, whoever it is, all those people look alike. Because we're not accustomed to, you know, seeing the differences. We, we've all said that. It's kind of un-PC to say that, but we've all thought that. Do you hear what Paul's saying today? He's saying, if you've been baptized into Christ, all of you look alike now. All you baptized people, you look alike According to God, at least. And sure, He sees you and He knows you and He knows the differences about you. But, but when God sees you, guess what? He doesn't see your past anymore. And some of you really need to hear that because you come into church and, uh, and, and you are haunted by things in your past. And you're singing songs and there's just this voice, this nagging voice in the back of your mind that's telling you that you're not worthy and it's making you feel shame and making you feel guilt. And you just need to know that when God looks at you and you're standing in his presence and you're trying to sing, he doesn't see you that way. He doesn't see you through the lens of your past. Some of you look in the mirror and you don't like the person you see and and you know your struggles and you don't like your struggles and, and you're frustrated with yourself. And when God looks at you, if you've been baptized into Christ, he doesn't see all that stuff about you. He's not dwelling on that. I mean, of course he knows it. And of course he's compassionate about all of that. But when he looks at you, he favors you as though you were Jesus himself. You've been clothed in Christ if you've been baptized into Christ. All of you baptized people look alike now. You look like Jesus, and this is why we value baptism. You know, after the service today, I'm going to baptize four people, a couple of little kids who are toddlers, and then a couple of uh, kids who are near teenage years. And the reason this is so important, and the reason that everyone should have this, is because baptism is a life-changing, identity-changing thing. And if you've not been baptized, this is why we want to talk to you about it. Because it begins to change everything. So, so Paul's building this argument. Remember, he's talking to this very segregated church where there are people who are Jews and there are Greeks and, and they're, they're not getting along. And he says, wait a minute, wait a minute. God doesn't see all that anymore. In fact, he goes a step further and look what he says. When you've been baptized into Christ, when, when you're a child of God, when you've been clothed with Christ, guess what happens? There is neither now Jew nor Gentile. That means that, that your ethnicity or your race is not an issue anymore. God doesn't see that anymore. There's neither slave nor free. That that means class, your socioeconomic status. It doesn't matter to God anymore. You know, I I don't know if there's more discrimination between rich people who are discriminatory against poor people or poor people against rich people, but God doesn't see that. He doesn't see that stuff. He doesn't see our class anymore. Uh, Nor is there male or female. That doesn't matter to God whether you're male or female anymore, for you are all now one in Christ Jesus, Paul says, and then he continues, and he says, this is kind of weird, he says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. See, see, part of this disagreement in the church was, hey, if you're you're a Jewish person, then you belong to Abraham. He's your great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, and that makes you special. That makes you favored by God. And if you're not actually born of Abraham's lineage, then you're kind of a second-class citizen. And Paul goes, no way! That's not how it is. That's not how God sees you. God, God only cares about if you're a child of promise or not. Are you in Christ or not? And if you're in Christ, it doesn't matter about anything else. If you're in Christ, then you're, you're Abraham's descendant just like anyone else. See, God is so clear in his word about this. That when, when you belong to Jesus, you are a part of God's privileged people. And if you don't belong to Jesus, if you've not been baptized then you don't have the same favor. But, but God is pursuing you because he wants to give you that favor. See, there's no way you can read Scripture. I, I, there's just no way you can read Scripture and walk away with the idea that God is okay with the divisions that we create. That God is okay with all of these distinctions. There is no difference, God says. There's no Jew or Greek or slave or free or male or female. You are all one in Christ. The, these differences, these divisions— These divisions, they grieve the heart of God. Do you know that? Whether they're racial or or political, in politics, man, the political divide in this country is so huge. A recent study was done to show that that political discrimination is now the new number one form of discrimination in the workplace. We divide ourselves up in so many different ways, and that grieves the heart of God. And yet, and yet, the reality is, that God is not colorblind either. He's not class blind. He's not gender blind. It's a little more nuanced than that. See, see our differences as we look around at each other, the things that we see that are different, guess what? They're real. Not only are they real, they're God created. See, God created differences, but he didn't create divisions. So, So the divisions, they grieve God, but the differences, they're part of what God has Created. God, God loves the differences between us. Whether it's, whether it's talking about our, our skin color, whether it's light or dark, or or whether our hair's wiry or curly, or whether we're male or female, whether we've got flat noses or big ski slope noses like this one, I mean. God loves that. He looks at that stuff and, and he loves the diversity. He made the diversity. And so when God looks at differences, he's not, he's not ignoring the differences, no. He's applauding the differences. He loves that stuff. The issue is us, on the other hand. See, when we see differences, we can't help but, be create, but begin to create divisions. And so we divide ourselves up in so many different ways. But that's not God. I already told you, the only division God sees is, are you mine? Do you belong to Jesus or not? Everything else, all the other differences... God celebrates those differences. You see, the problem for us is that, that we don't know how to do what God does. We don't know how to celebrate differences without creating divisions. There's this tension here. Do you see it? That God in heaven, he looks at the differences between us, and he celebrates them because he made them, and they're intentional. But he looks at the divisions, and He is grieved by them. He hates them. And we've got a hard time living within this tension of celebrating differences without creating divisions. We are so divided as a people. Aren't we? If you're not sure about that, just look around at the community that we live in. Most of us sitting in the room, at least. If you're joining us online, maybe your community's different. I mean, we live in a great community. It's, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful part of the country. It's, our communities here are some of the best places to live in the whole U.S. The reality is, though, that most of us living in this community look a lot like me. Uh, This community, according to census data, is 87% white. Now, that's not necessarily a problem. I don't believe that we're racist here. I I think the problem is, is that we as a people don't know how to celebrate differences without creating divisions. See, a lot of this just comes down to to, to human nature. One of the drives that we have as humans, and and you've heard this maybe in a psychology class at some point, um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, he talks about the need for safety— and, and so we've got this faulty notion in our minds that familiarity will bring us safety. That familiarity will bring us safety. If we can just be around people that are familiar, and scenes that are familiar, and situations that are familiar, then we will be safe. We believe this, by the way. And if you don't know how deeply this affects you, you're, just, just take a critical look at your life, and you will see that you gravitate toward familiarity because you think it makes you safe. Now, the reality is this is not true. Familiarity does not equal safety, it doesn't. I mean, I, I can share with you all kinds of all kinds of stats that would say that this is actually the opposite of true. Do you know that most violent crimes that are committed against people are committed against them by people they know really well, people they are familiar with? Do you know that most crime, not just violent crime, but all crime, tends to be committed? on people, by people who look like them. So, so black males commit crime against black males, white males against white males. I mean, that's just how it goes. Look at the crime stats. That's what they'll show you. See, we have this belief that, that if we can just get life familiar, then we'll be safe. And, and whenever we get around things that are unfamiliar or unknown, then our very safety feels threatened. And see, that's not true. That's a lie. And our human nature latches onto that, and we get afraid, and so we start dividing ourselves up. Because I mean, we need to be safe, right? And so we try to build a, a life that's that's all familiar, so that we can feel safe. I mean, forget about the fact that God is the one who makes us brave, and He stands with us, and He is for us, as we sang today. We say, no, 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 no. familiarity is my idol. That is my protector. That's how I know I can be truly safe. I, I remember my dad sharing stories with me. He uh, he grew up for a while in the city of Detroit. Detroit's a, a city a lot like St. Louis, actually, scarily similar pasts, especially on the issues of race. And he talked about living in, in, in the city of Detroit. He talked about how great it was growing up in Detroit. I mean, when I was growing up, Detroit was like not a great place. And he was like, no, 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 when I grew up there, it was, it was an amazing place. And he talked about the street that he lived on and how neighborly everyone was. And, and he, says, he says it was great. And he says, but I remember, I remember the day that it changed. He said, I remember the day that a black family moved in on our street. And he said, and I remember that within one week's time, there were at least a dozen houses that had for sale signs in their yards as people began to move out to the suburbs. You see what was happening there? Just that, that simple, sinful nature that says, uh-oh, this is unfamiliar. That means it's unsafe. We, we better get out somewhere to something that's more familiar. Now, on top of that, in cities like Detroit and cities like St. Louis, something more sinister was going on because there were were people who who were fear mongers, who were taking that that kind of insecurity that we felt, and and they were using it to advance their own ideological or political gain. And so some of those families that were moving in on on white streets were families that were planted there in order to scare families out into the suburbs. I mean, there were sinister things going on, and, and we just need to acknowledge that. And maybe that's hard because some of, some of us in this room, maybe we were part of the, the white flight that happened in our cities. Or maybe we fell victim to fear of what was unfamiliar. And that's okay. We, we just need to acknowledge that that's true about us. And I think we also need to acknowledge that this is still happening today. That there are voices out there in our, in our, our culture that they're stirring up divisions left and right, trying to make you afraid of what is unfamiliar. And, and, and familiarity won't make you safe. You're fooling yourself if you believe that. And things that are unfamiliar won't, won't put you in danger. But, but you see, there, there are voices out there politically, racially, otherwise, ideologically, that are trying to make you believe this is true, and it's simply not true. See, see we as people have a very hard time believing and, and being able to, to live this out, that, that, that we can celebrate differences without creating divisions. We are so quick to divide ourselves off into homogeneous little groups because we believe that's what's going to make us safe. But we make another mistake here too, not just too easily dividing ourselves. We make another mistake here at the beginning. We fail to celebrate our differences. You know, we either just pretend that our differences don't exist at all or we make too big of a deal about them, but we don't know how to celebrate differences. If you think this doesn't apply to you, let me ask you this question. Have you ever gone out of your way to describe someone to someone else and you went all around the issue that they may have been a person of a different color? You know, like, like you're just describing their hair color, the kind of car they drive, where they went to school, you know, the kind of jewelry they wear, rather than saying, "Oh yeah, and they've got dark skin; they're black." I mean, has anyone ever done that? <laughs> I'm sure you have, and that just shows that we are not comfortable celebrating differences. Again, when, when God looks at the world, He's not colorblind. He sees all the colors that He made, and He and He loves it. He's celebrating that. That's something He did intentionally. When God looks at the world, he's not class-blind either. Yeah, I think some people believe we'd be better off if we were all middle class. I don't believe that's God's view. Man, I've learned valuable lessons from people who are rich, and I've learned valuable lessons about life from people who are poor. Yeah, I think God wants us to continue to learn from each other and to celebrate the unique perspectives that we have on life, no matter what our position is. I don't believe God wants us to be gender-blind You know, back in the 70s, they did this, right? They they just kind of believed that that sex was created, that we were male or female. But all this gender stuff, it was all just inbred in us by society. And so they'd tell you to raise your kids, whether they're boys or girls, exactly the same. But what we discovered is if you give a little boy a Barbie, he's going to try to shoot someone with it, right? He's going to turn it into a weapon. Because that's what boys do. Boys are different than girls, and it's not just society that puts, them on, puts that on them. There's actually something that God has created in us that's different. But we don't know how to celebrate those differences. Because it feels like if we celebrate our differences, then, then maybe we're, we're, we're being sexist or we're being uh, bigots. And no one wants to be that. But again, when God looks at the world, he sees the differences. And he celebrates them. And I just keep thinking, you know, I, I just keep thinking, what if we, what if we, living in this 87% white community, what if we could become the first church in West County to, to really embrace this, this value that is at the heart of God, that, that we will be a people who celebrate differences. We're not going to ignore differences. In fact, we're going to lift up differences, and we're, we're going to cheer for differences. But we will not be a people who create Divisions. I just keep thinking, what, what if we took this seriously? And what if we took this to heart? And what if we lived this better than anyone else? And in some ways, I believe we already are. But what if we really leaned into this and we said, God, give us your heart that we might be people who celebrate differences without creating divisions. Man, wouldn't that be incredible? See, if, if you're excited about this idea, and I hope you are, and if you're not excited about this idea, you should feel convicted right now. And I'm just going to put it out there, you should. Because if you're not excited about this idea, that, then, then you're, you're far off from the heart of God on this issue. And that's okay that it still may intimidate you or you may not know how, but, but if you're not at least excited about the possibility, then you just need to confess that to God and ask God to begin to create in you a heart like His. And, and then, you know, if, if you want to see this happen, then guess what? It means more than simply passively Living life the way we've been living it. See, I I don't think most of us in this room are racist. I don't think we're we're sexist. I I don't believe that about you. I think the problem is 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 that these other divisions have been created by other people and, and we're not we're not creating the divisions anymore. We're just tolerating them. We're tolerating the divisions. See, I think, what what would it be like if we could become a people who celebrate differences, and and we don't create divisions, and more than that, we we begin to actively tear down divisions. We begin begin to cross boundaries that have been set by others, boundaries in terms of of race and status and even geography. What would that be like if we could be that kind of church? See, today's message isn't profound. It's, It's actually stuff you all know. The problem with this, the problem with this is that we don't take steps to actually live it. We don't know how to cross lines the way that Jesus did, crossed all the way from heaven into earth so that we could be united with him. We we don't know how to do that. We're we're afraid, and, and so we let these divisions hold us back. So today I want to close with just a few things that you can do, things that you can do to begin to change your thinking, your action, our church, our community, and even our world. And these may sound like commercials, but but I don't care. Because the reality is, again, just my talk alone isn't going to change you. What will change you is beginning to act differently. So the first thing I'd encourage you to do if you're a male is come to the Iron Man event. It's on February 27th, I think, or something. Uh, You just heard Carol talk about it. Hear uh, James Westbrook talk about our city, to talk about how, how we can cross lines and come together to make our city a better place. If you're a man, show up and lean in and learn about what it means to celebrate differences without creating divisions, but actually tearing divisions down. Uh, some of you have, have heard that uh, this is kind of the second thing, that we work in a neighborhood called, called College Hill. It's a neighborhood in St. Louis itself, kind of in North City. Uh, it has been known as one of the most dangerous neighborhoods in the city. It's highly transient. It's got a whole host of, of problems there. We've been working in that neighborhood for over a decade. There are a couple things that are going on in College Hill right now that I think you should know about. One of them is there's a church in, in College Hill called St. Paul, and uh, it's a church that some of our people have begun worshiping at, not to, not to take it over, but just simply to celebrate differences and to begin to cross boundaries of urban and suburban and, and together to make that church stronger so that it can be there for its community. We believe that the local church is the hope of any community and the hope of the world. And so, so there are people who are trying to make that church stronger, but they're doing it together. They're tearing down divisions. You know, if, if you're someone who that sounds interesting to you, we'd love to interview you for that. We're not sending everyone down there, but, but, but if that's something you'd want to do, we want to talk to you about that. Uh, maybe you've heard that we've done these events called Family Forward events. We've done a couple of them. There are these new family equipping events. We invite our community to them. They're, they're pretty awesome. Well, our next Family Forward event is actually going to happen in College Hill. And it's not going to be a service project in College Hill, We're actually partnering with a public elementary school, Bryan Hill Elementary, public school. We're going down there, and on a Saturday, we're putting on a family event together, and we're inviting families from from West County and families from College Hill to come together and just celebrate their families and to begin to celebrate differences and, and to tear down divisions. It's on a Saturday in March, and I know you're busy, and especially if you've got kids, you've got sports, but I hope you clear your calendar to show up for this. It's a powerful step that you can take to begin to actively break down those divisions that grieve the heart of God and to learn what it means to live in this tension of celebrating differences without creating divisions. There'll be more on that later, but, but mark your calendars now, Saturday, March 7th. But do you realize, lastly, that there are opportunities for you to do this every day? I mean, when, when you see someone who's new in your neighborhood and they don't meet the, the normal stereotype of a West County family, whether that's racial or economic or age, or something else. Or or you see someone like that in church here. Instead of just ignoring the fact that they're different, guess what? They they already know they're different. I mean, you've been in those situations where you walk in a room where you're, you're different than everyone else. You feel that. You know that. By ignoring that, you're not doing anyone any favors. God doesn't want you to ignore those differences. But can we be a people who begin to celebrate those differences? Can we be the kind of people who celebrate diversity when it happens? Can we be the kind of people who, who cross aisles and walk across rooms and break down boundaries between people of race and color and ethnicity and class and gender? Can we be that kind of people? See, I believe if we could, if we just lean into this, if we just ask God to do this in us, this is what God already wants. I believe he could accomplish this in us, and I believe that through a local church like this, we could change this area, we could change our city, we could begin to influence our world. See, today what I want to do is I want to close this message just praying the simple thing, that God would help us be people who can celebrate differences, who love differences, who are not afraid of differences, without creating divisions. So I invite you to pray with me. Father, we invite you in today into our hearts, into our lives. And uh, we just acknowledge there's a lot of fear about things that are unfamiliar and unknown to us. But God, that is, that is not of you, that is of the evil one. It's not even true that, that things that are unfamiliar are dangerous for us. God, it's just a lie that is, that is retold over and over and over again. And God, we confess, Father, we confess that too often we've believed that lie and we've perpetuated that lie. And we've lived in fear. We've lived as, as, as slaves to that lie. And God, I pray that you would make us brave here today. That you would help us to, to shake off all the things that we've believed or learned or heard. And that we would be people like you. That we would we'd have the courage to celebrate differences. And to love people, not in spite of their difference, but because they're different. God, that we would do that without ever creating divisions. God, give us give us courage. Make us brave to be able to tear down walls that exist. God, give us a conviction in this room that, that when we're in a situation where, where people who are different are coming together, that we are the first one who walks across the room to extend the hand of friendship and fellowship to someone who is different than we are. God, I pray that that this church would be the first church in our community to to really embrace this, to lean into your heart on this matter and to be changed by you. And God, I pray that as a church here in this community that you'd change this community and that you'd raise up other churches to do the same and you'd change our area and that St. Louis would no longer be known as a a region of the world that that is so divided by the issues of race, but we'd be a people who celebrate differences without creating divisions. God, accomplish that in and through us. I pray by the mighty work of your spirit, by the baptism of Jesus, which erases everything we have to be afraid of and that unites us as one. God, I pray you'd accomplish this in us. In the strong name of Jesus, amen. I invite you to stand.